Thanks, Dr. Mays, for that beautiful song. Well, I wanted to just take a moment and uh, greet Tim and Donna Burrell. They are with us this morning, so good to see you guys. I think they're sitting back in the back. Just wave to us real quick. So God bless you guys. Um, Tim and Donna have been through a lot in the last few months, and I just wanted to ask you to keep praying for them. He starts radiation in a couple of weeks. It's going to go on for about eight weeks. And so, uh, but it's great that they feel up to being able to come and be with us today, and we're just privileged to see you. We love you both very, very much. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of John, the Gospel of John. We're continuing in our verse-by-verse study through this incredible gospel, the Gospel of John. And this morning, we're going to jump into my, one of my favorite chapters. I, I keep saying that with every chapter here, but John chapter 10 truly is a jewel here in the midst of this gospel. And so if you've got a Bible, John chapter 10, we hope to look at verses 1 1 through 10 today, I've entitled this morning's message as, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. We read here in John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, Jesus is speaking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Father, we bow our hearts before you this morning and pray that you would shine your light on your word as we look at this familiar yet profound passage of scripture about how the Lord Jesus Christ is the door of the sheep. May we be greatly encouraged and blessed today as we look at this passage together, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. A door is a hinged, sliding, or revolving barrier. A door marks the entrance of a house, of a building, of a room, of a vehicle, or in our case today, of a sheep pen. A door is a necessary and important part of our lives. Without a door, you would be denied access into places that you would like to go. But with a door, you have the possibility of entering into different locations as you desire. A door is a means of entrance into a defined place. A door is what allows you access to where you need to go. Without a door, 
you would be denied entrance into your desired destination. Without entering through the door, you simply could not gain admission into the place where you are heading. It is through a door that you are able to enter a house and enjoy its comfort. It is through a door that you enter a classroom where you're encouraged to learn. It is through a door that you enter a hospital into which you can receive treatment. It is through a door that you can board an airplane in which you can access different parts of the world. It is through a door that you enter into a stadium to watch the game. And it is through a door that you enter into this church so that you can fellowship with God's people. A door is a passageway. A door is often seen as the entrance to the path that brings something good and something desirable into your life. And yet at the same time, a door also keeps out. A door is a barrier to an unwanted foe. A door serves as a safeguard against unwanted guests. We lock our doors at night to keep our homes safe. We lock our car doors as we drive to keep the kids in and to keep the bad guys out. We put our guns in the gun safe and lock the door to keep our families protected from unwanted harm. We keep our money in a safe at the bank where they have advanced security doors that cannot be breached in order to prevent thieves and robbers from stealing what doesn't belong to them. A door, whether it is open or closed, is a very good thing. You would not want to live your life without a door. I dare say that you have ever lived a day when you have not entered and exited multiple times through some kind of door. Doors are a necessary part of life in order to have a meaningful and reasonable experiences that would not be possible if it weren't for the use of a door. I want you to keep all that in mind this morning as we look at this passage today and we learn that Jesus Christ is the door of the sheep. Jesus is the door that allows the true shepherd to come in, and Jesus is the door that keeps the false shepherds and the false sheep out. Jesus is the door of the true sheep. This means that he and he alone is our entrance into the kingdom of God. And at the same time, he is the door that keeps out all of those who are not of his sheep. Goats are denied entrance. All wolves are kept out. Lions are barred from hindering for even one moment those that are inside the door. So let me ask you something this morning. Are you inside the door or have you been shut out? Have you come into the saving graces of our good and gracious God through Jesus Christ the door or are you locked out? Have you been prevented admittance because of a lack of faith or a lack of repentance or a lack of understanding? Do you realize this morning that you may not enter into eternal life without coming through this door? Don't be like the five foolish virgins who said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. In Matthew 25, the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, you need to go gather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. 
And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Do you have enough oil in your lamp this morning? Are you ready to enter into the marriage feast? Or will the door be shut on you, keeping you out? Will, there be, will, the, will the door be shut on you where you will not be able to enter in? You'll be kept out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I pray that you would listen up this morning as we look at the door of the sheep. I trust that you are eager this morning to consider the words of Jesus Christ from even Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Can you hear the knocking this morning? Do you know who is there? Are you ready to open the door of your heart today to the love of Jesus Christ, the door of the sheep? Well, this morning, I want to give you four headings that will help us see the beauty of this truth that Jesus Christ is the door of the sheep. Here's our first heading. If you're taking notes, you'll see it there in your PowerPoint. But let's talk about entering into the sheepfold. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Well, from the very beginning, Israel has been familiar with the concept of sheep. Shepherding has always been a big part of Jewish life, just like olive trees and grapevines and a kosher diet. Shepherding sheep and the blessing of olive trees bearing fruit and the use of the grapevine have been constant illustrations in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. And the people of Israel know that sheep are extremely helpless, that they are the most defenseless, and that they are the most commonly straying animals. Sheep are dirty animals that need constant oversight, leading, rescuing, and cleaning, or they will die. In fact, you could say that learning to be a good shepherd of the sheep was God's favorite analogy of how people need good shepherds too. This may be why so many leaders of God's people during the Bible had a personal experience of shepherding sheep. Think about Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. They were all shepherds. Or Moses, when he went out of Egypt, he became a shepherd. Of course, we know David was a shepherd. They all had their turn shepherding sheep before they became national shepherds of the nation of Israel. One can say that God always thought, he's always been thought of as the great shepherd and Israel is his flock. But God always employed his leaders as under shepherds to carry out his work. And the New Testament writers also use that same imagery to describe the church. There's the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're under shepherds, the apostles and the elders and the pastors of the churches. In fact, the apostle Paul made it clear to the Ephesian elders in Acts 2, or excuse me, Acts 20, 28 through 29. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God in which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
The Apostle Peter used the same familiar terminology as well in his epistle, 1 Peter 5, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. With all this in mind, Let's look at this description of the sheepfold in John chapter 10. Again, verse 1, I want you to first see your first blank, a description of the sheepfold. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, who, he who does not enter, he who does not enter the sheepfold. Let's talk for a moment about what is this sheepfold. Well, in Palestine, it was common for shepherds to find a safe place for their sheep to bed down at night. Sometimes they might be out in the open, but there were dangerous areas of infested Israel with wild beasts, and so many villages had a place of safety or a large sheepfold, which would have been the common property of the native farmers. This sheepfold would often be protected by a stone wall some 10 to 12 feet high, and as darkness would descend at the end of each day, a number of different shepherds would lead their flocks up to the door of the fold through which the sheep would pass, often one by one into the sheep pen for the night. This would then bring uh, the sheep into the care of the gatekeeper who would be responsible for the sheep during the night. And at the door, the gatekeeper would often lay his body down, thus preventing any sheep from escaping unnoticed, and at the same time preventing any intruder from coming in that was unwanted. The gatekeeper was to be on guard as well against thieves and robbers and against any wild animal that might try to scale the walls of this sheep pen. In the morning, the different shepherds would return to gather his flock, acknowledging the shepherds. The gatekeeper would make way to allow the shepherd to gather his own flock, and the shepherd would do so by calling each sheep by name. The sheep would recognize and respond to his shepherd's voice and come after the shepherd. And after each sheep had been accounted for, the shepherd would then lead them out of the sheepfold into the pasture. Well, now that we understand just a little bit more about the sheepfold, let's also look at the identification of the thieves and the robbers. You see it there in verse 1. He says, that you're supposed to enter by the door, but if you try to climb in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And so in order to understand this illustration or figure of speech Jesus uses about the sheepfold, you must understand who the sheep are and who the thieves and the robbers are. And like any parable, this figure of speech or illustration must be allowed to have a little bit of flexibility so that it can be properly understood without pressing too hard at each detail. But it seems to be clear here that this sheepfold holds all the sheep of ethnic Israel. All those who belong to the covenant community of Israel are put into the pen of Israel. There are thieves and robbers who want to get in and lead Israel astray, but they cannot get in through the door. And so they are trying to get in another way in order to steal and to harm the sheep. And in this illustration, I believe that the thieves and the robbers represent the false teachers of Israel who don't submit to Jesus Christ as the true shepherd. And when Jesus starts off this discourse, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
And in saying that, he's identifying himself as the true shepherd as opposed to all the false shepherds of Israel. Jesus is placing himself in sharp contrast to the rabbis of the day who were trying to steal the hearts of the Jewish people. The Pharisees and the scribes have been trying to get to the true sheep of Israel, but they would not come through the door. They would try to find another way in. And these Jewish leaders were the, the, the last in a long line of false shepherds that had been bothering Israel for some time. Isaiah talks about these thieves and these robbers as dogs, how they were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, but they had turned into crooks. Listen to Isaiah 56, 10 through 11. It says, his watchmen are blind. They are without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough, but they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. So what we see here are how these false shepherds of Israel have no understanding. They are like dogs on the attack. They have a mighty appetite for personal gain. They'll do whatever it takes in order to eat. They must fulfill their, their insatiable hunger for being in control and telling others what to do. This reminds me of how in 2011 there was a news report of an Indonesian dog owner who went on vacation for 14 days. Apparently, he forgot to feed his dogs before he left. A neighborhood bodyguard was curious when he saw the luggage lined up in front of the man's house after the 50-year-old had arrived back home. As the guard approached the house, he smelled something awful, and he called the police. The police chief later stated that the dog's that the dog owner's skull was found in the kitchen and his body was found in front of his house. What happened? The hungry dogs killed their owner and ate him. Now that may make you want, not want to get a dog, right? But we understand when a dog gets hungry, they will not stop until they eat. I think the article said this man had seven, seven dogs. And this disgusting story is a reminder of what these false shepherds do when they eventually kill Jesus. These false shepherds want to devour the true owner and the true shepherd and to take his place. We've already been told this time and time again in the Gospel of John, John 5, 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. John 7, verse 1, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. John 8, 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. These False shepherds had lost their way, and Jesus refers to them here as a thief and as a robber. The word thief implies secret fraud and dishonesty. The word robber here in context speaks of an open violence. These false shepherds assumed both roles as they wanted to defraud Christ's character and steal his influence, and they want to carry out the violent act of nailing him to a cross and having Jesus killed. So calling out these type of unbelieving Jewish leaders 
the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 10, 21, for the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord, therefore they have not prospered and all their flock is scattered. Jeremiah writes about false shepherds like this again in Jeremiah 12, 10, many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard, they have trampled down my portion, they have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. In Jeremiah chapter 50, verse six, we read my people have been lost sheep their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away. But the truth is, Israel's false shepherds will not escape God's judgment. Jeremiah 23, 1 and 2. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for every evil deed declares the Lord. In juxtaposition to this, we see the qualification of the true shepherd of the sheep. So now we know who the thief and the robber is. Look at verse two and we see here again, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. What's the qualification of the shepherd? Well, there's only one qualification listed here in verse 2. It's only one thing here in verse 2 that helps you recognize the true shepherd, and it's simply this. It's he who enters by the door. Now think about that for a moment. He who enters by the door. Christ presented himself to Israel in a lawful manner. Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Christ came in strict accord with the holy scriptures. Christ was never a rebel against God or his word. Christ never rivaled God's plan or God's will. Christ entered this world to be the good shepherd and was to be the savior of the sheep. The true sheep of Israel had been waiting for him. Jesus didn't scale the walls of the sheepfold. No, Jesus didn't seek to make a name for himself. Jesus simply entered through the door, and that is how we know that he is the true shepherd of the sheep. And he calls his sheep by name, and they come to him. Jesus fulfilled every messianic prophecy. Jesus kept every law. He committed no sin. Jesus submitted himself to all the conditions established by the Lord who builds the house. Christ obeyed all that was asked of him in accordance with God's word. He had been born of a virgin, of the covenant people, of the Jewish stock in the city of David, Bethlehem. He had been born under the law. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was presented to God at the temple as witnessed by both Anna and Simeon. Jesus came through the door. He was the true shepherd who had come to call his people out of the sheepfold and in to the pasture. All that leads us to our second heading this morning, number two, exiting out of the sheepfold. Your next blank, the shepherd calls his sheep by name. Verse three, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so here we know that Jesus is the shepherd. And so if he is the shepherd, who is the gatekeeper? 
Some say the gatekeeper is the Holy Spirit. And we know that no one comes through the door unless they have their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. It's his sovereign work. It's the Holy Spirit who initiates and completes the building of the body of Christ. It is the Spirit who convicts the world of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ by transforming believers into the image of Jesus. The Holy Spirit also indwells sanctifies, instructs, and empowers believers for service. The Holy Spirit seals the believer unto the day of redemption. Others believe that the gatekeeper is John the Baptist. It was John the Baptist who was the son of Zechariah the priest. It was John the Baptist who preached repentance and baptism and who foretold the coming of the one who would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It was John the Baptist who made straight the way of the Lord. It was John the Baptist of whom Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Who do I think the gatekeeper is? Could be the Holy Spirit, could be John the Baptist, but I think that the gatekeeper represents any faithful, under-shepherd, under the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think this gatekeeper represents the one that God appointed as a faithful worker of the gospel. I think that the gatekeepers are the apostles and the elders who have been appointed by Christ as faithful under shepherds to shepherd the flock of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says that these under shepherds are to do their best to present themselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We see this responsibility again for the gatekeeper in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. For all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, a reference to a pastor or an elder, maybe even an apostle in the first century, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think this is what we read about in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 14, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and to which you were made, have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gatekeeper has the responsibility of watching over the sheep until the shepherd comes. The gatekeeper has the responsibility to discern truth from error. The gatekeeper has the responsibility to know the true shepherd and to know the sheep. It was Peter who gave the great confession to Jesus when it was asked of him, but who do you say I am, Peter? You remember well in Matthew 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you, Jesus said, 
the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, Jesus has given Peter and those who lead the church after him the responsibility of guarding the gate. Elders have the responsibility of wielding the authority of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible says that as they do that and step with scripture, that heaven agrees with the elders as they make determinations of spiritual life and death. What a sobering responsibility the gatekeeper has. Aren't you glad this morning that God has left somebody in charge of the gate? Pray for our elder team that we would guard it well. What we also see in this amazing verse of John 10, 3, you read again to him, the gatekeeper opens the sheep, hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Here's where the shepherd comes and the gatekeeper recognizes the shepherd and he opens the gate, and at that time the shepherd enters into the sheepfold, and he calls his own sheep, and the sheep hear his voice. The shepherd knows his sheep, for he calls them by name. Hear Spot, hear Blackie, hear Wooly, and they come, and they gather. They, they know his voice. The shepherd leads them out of the sheepfold and into the pasture, and I believe this is a picture of Jesus leading the true sheep of Israel out of Judaism and into Christianity. He's leading them out of the old covenant and into the new covenant. He's leading them away from an ethnic identity and into a spiritual identity marked by all those who are in Christ. Isaiah 43.1 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. and You are mine. Yes, we serve a personal God. He is a great and mighty God who knows all things, for we've been learning about His omniscience. But He also knows you intimately. He knows you specifically. He knows you individually. He calls you by name. You do not go unnoticed in the kingdom of God. You will not be forgotten. Jesus knows you by name. The great encouragement that ought to be to us this morning. Verse 4 tells us, your next blank, the sheep follow the shepherd wherever he leads. When he has brought out all his own, verse 4, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Again, the sheep follow the shepherd wherever he leads. Jesus brings out all of his own. Jesus goes before them and the sheep follow him. In the western world, we're known to drive our sheep. We use sheepdogs and drive the sheep like we drive cattle from behind. But in the Middle Eastern context, the shepherds always led their sheep from the front. The sheep were not driven by the shepherd. They were called out by the shepherd. They were not forced by the shepherd. They chose to follow the shepherd for they knew his voice. There was a familiarity to the shepherd's voice. There was a calming effect to the shepherd's voice. 
If another shepherd of a different sort were to call them, they would not respond. It's kind of like when you call your dog. Your dog knows your voice, your inflections, your tone, your mannerisms, and so they come to you. They will not go to another, or at least that's how it's supposed to work. Turn with me to Ezekiel. You got to see this one in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 37. Ezekiel 20, 37, and 38, again, we're talking about here how the prophet confronts Israel for their rebellion, but acknowledges that there's always a remnant that stays true to the Lord. There's always a remnant that knows and hears the voice of God, and since God is the great shepherd, he brings his sheep into the true fold. And we see this in Ezekiel 20, verse 37 and 38. He says this, check this out. I will make you pass under the rod. And I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now notice verse 37, again, when it says, I will make you pass under the rod. This is a picture of the shepherd having the sheep file in line, and then they pass one by one under the shepherd's rod as he examines each one for personal ownership. Some say that the shepherd is also looking for any injury, that he might bind up the wounds of the sheep. This passage is talking about how the shepherd will bring the true sheep into the bond of the new covenant where the Lord will write his law upon their hearts and he will be our God and we will be his people. This is when God gives you a new heart and a a new spirit he puts within you. He will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Think of Jesus calling his disciples one by one. They pass under his rod. One by one, they come out of a system of unbelief, a system that had gone bad, a system that would lead to hell. And now they come to follow the true shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he calls them unto himself. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he says to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Think of how Jesus calls individuals to himself in Luke 19, 5. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Or think of how Mary Magdalene did not recognize at first the risen Christ voice after he spoke to her After his resurrection at the tomb, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have only carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In other words, as soon as Jesus called her name, As soon as Jesus called the name of Matthew and called the name of Zacchaeus and called the name of Mary, they instantly and immediately came. Can you hear Christ calling you today? Do you know his voice? Are you following the great shepherd of the soul this morning? Do you have that heart like an obedient sheep that wherever he leads, you will follow? Verse 5 says, a stranger 
they will not follow. Your next blank, a stranger they will not follow, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. True sheep do not follow strangers. True sheep only follow the true shepherd. True sheep have discernment. They have the Holy Spirit as their teacher. They're able to pick up error. A strange shepherd they will not heed. This is the mark of all of Christ's sheep. Christ's sheep don't stray, at least not permanently. They stay on the path following the one and only shepherd. Jesus warns us at the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, he says, Many false shepherds will arise and lead many astray. Matthew 24, 24, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. But we know that it is not possible to ultimately deceive the elect. And if any go out from us, they were never part of us, 1 John 2, 19 says. A.W. Pink writes here, quote, Let a man of the world hear two preachers, one giving out the truth and the other error, and he cannot discern the difference between them. But it is far otherwise with a child of God. He may be but a babe in Christ, unskilled in theological controversies, but instinctively he will detect vital heresy as soon as he hears it. And why is this? Because he is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and has received an unction from the Holy One. How thankful we should be for this. How gracious of the Lord to have given us this capacity to separate the precious from the vile. So, we see here that true Christians flee from false shepherds and they follow the voice of Jesus. And nowhere are verses 1 through 5 of chapter 10 better illustrated than in the previous chapter, John chapter 9, where we saw how Christ had shown how he entered the door into the sheepfold, for he had come working the works of God. And here Jesus had shown himself to be in confidence, the owner of the fold. And here Jesus, in John chapter 9, remember that Jesus is the approved shepherd of the flock. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, were resisting him and attacking the sheep. Therefore, they should be seen as the thieves and the robbers. The blind beggar was a sample of the flock. He refused to listen to the false shepherds of Israel, the voices of strangers. And he knew the voice of the true shepherd. And he listened to him. And he went to the pool. And he washed. And he came back seeing. And he put his faith in Christ. He knew the voice of the true shepherd. And he listened to him. And he obeyed him. He was drawn to Jesus. And guess what? That blind beggar was led out of the sheepfold of Israel into the green pastures of salvation. He believed in Jesus as the Son of Man, the Christ. He moved out of unbelieving Judaism, and he moved into believing Christianity where he found salvation and security and sustenance. How about you this morning? Are you ready to abandon one identity for another? Are you ready to come out of your legalism, out of your false religion, out of your own ideas about spiritual things? You need a shepherd to lead you, and there is only one true shepherd, and he's calling you out of the man-made sheepfolds of this world, and he's calling you into a relationship with himself. And so now that we've seen these two, these next two points will fly by quickly. Number three, explaining the door of the sheep. 
Now that we have the table set, look at verse 6 where we first see the ignorance of unbelief. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. The Jews here simply did not understand Jesus' figure of speech in the sheepfold. This is evidence that they are not of the elect sheep of Israel. They are incapable of understanding the truth even when it was plainly presented to them. These Pharisees are as blind as a bat. They had no light in their eyes. Their hearts were as hard as a rock. Equally blind are all the unsaved today, the well-educated, the rich, the poor, the celebrities of our day. They are all blind if they don't know Jesus. You could have grown up in a church. You could be the nicest person in town. You could have a PhD in religion. But if you don't know Christ, you are lost unless you are born again and the word of God is in you then it will be hidden from you. You have no ability to see or understand the things of God unless he opens your eyes. Verse seven, your next blank, this is where we see the third I am statement. The Jews still aren't getting it. Verse six, but in verse seven, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. It's as if Jesus said, let's run at it another way. This is a slight variation of the metaphor. In verses 1 through 5, Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. In verses 7 and 9, he is the door of the sheep. Here he says, I am the door of the sheep. It's one of the seven I am statements in John, all pointing to the fact that Jesus is divine. He is the Son of God. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in each one of those, he uses ego a me, which is an emphatic for saying, I am. This is how Yahweh referred to himself when Moses was asked at the burning bush, whom shall I say sent me? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am sent me. To you, And so Jesus is saying that if, if you want into the pasture, you'll need to come through me. God the Father and God the Son are the same in essence, are the same in divinity, are the same entryway. I am is saying you've got to come through this door. There's no other door. There are no other roads that lead to heaven. All faiths don't coexist as equal. There is a way that is right, and Jesus is that way. He says it. This way in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow, what? By the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The way may be narrow but it is possible through Jesus Christ the way may be hard, but it is available through Jesus Christ. There may be few who find it, but happy are those who come to the door of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 8, we see that the elect sheep did not stray. The elect sheep do not stray. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And so when Jesus says, all who came before me, 
Verse 8 again says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. When he says that, he's not referring to literally everybody in Israel, but all the false shepherds of Israel that came to lead them astray. He's condemning those who said they had come in the name of God, but they did not. This doesn't include, of course, the true shepherds of Israel who were faithful like Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon and Ezra and Nehemiah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Jesus was simply referring to Israel's wayward shepherds. He is referring to the wicked kings, the corrupt priests, the false prophets, and any pseudo-messiah. First John tells us how we can tell the difference between true shepherds and false shepherds. First John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard coming and is now in the world already. So it's real simple. How do you tell? Does the person believe in the true shepherd that Jesus is God's son, the Messiah? If so, then that's a true belief. But if they don't believe in the gospel, that Jesus is the only means to heaven and the door, then that's a false shepherd. And so we are only to follow the under shepherds who, as they follow the true shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all other shepherds are to be avoided. They're to be abandoned. And at this point, Jesus reiterates the message, your next blank, the elect sheep will come through the door. They will come through the door. Jesus says again, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus Christ is the door. It only takes one step to enter into this door. Just one step, and all those who are outside will be brought inside. But you cannot have one foot in and one foot out. You must come all the way in. The soul that believes in God's testimony to the truth of salvation by Christ alone at once enters God's presence. There is no holding pattern no postponement, and no purgatory. In Christ, you are a new creature. In Christ, all things have been made new. Please take note of this definite article of verse 9 where Jesus says, I am the door. There is only one door being referred to here, and that is the door of Christ. There was only one door into the ark which Noah and his family found shelter from the flood. There was only one door into the tabernacle which was Jehovah's dwelling place. And so there is only one door into the presence of the Father. It is through Jesus Christ. He is the door. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Luke 13.24, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. But you will be able to enter the door if you enter by faith, nor do you need to knock, for the door is open to you. The door will always be open to any man or any woman or any child who will enter through Jesus. And when verse 9 says that he will be able to go in and out and find pasture, I believe that he's saying here that there is a freedom 
in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will always have God's protection and his blessing and you will never need to fear any harm or any danger. There will be a satisfying sustenance in the pastors of God's grace. There is an incredible nourishment for the sheep. How can we not picture here Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Have you come to Christ this morning? Have you entered through the door? Have you stepped over the threshold? It will do you no good to inch ever closer but never come in. It will do you no good to look through the door at the blessings of Christ but not enter. It will do you no good to lean on the doorpost with the intention of entering. You must come in and you must enter through the door. And when you have come, you will enter into eternal life. And this is our fourth and final heading this morning, number four, entering into eternal life. Verse 10, we see the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. What's the goal of the thief? Your first blank. The goal of the thief, now that maybe we understand a little better how the Pharisees are working for their father, the devil, who is the destroyer, destroyer. Satan here is, the, is a cheat, he's a liar, He's the ultimate thief, the ultimate robber, the ultimate killer, and he inflicts violence like no other. But sometimes he comes as an angel of light, and sometimes he comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And this is how the Pharisees have been approaching the sheep of Israel. They themselves claim to be sheep, but they are not. They are thieves, and they are robbers, and they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And the goal of the thief is to fleece the flock and devour the meat. The devil always wants you gone. The devil wants to take from you what is not his. The devil is your worst nightmare. Not only that, but Jeremiah 23, 1 again says, Woe to the shepherd to destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. There's another rebuke given to the false shepherds in Ezekiel 24, when he says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves should not shepherds feed the sheep. You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. So the goal of Satan and the goal of the false shepherds is to steal, to kill, and destroy, but the goal of the true shepherd is vastly different. Your next blank, the goal of the true shepherd, what is it? Well, obviously, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. Jesus came not to take life. He came to give life. And the word for life here is not the word bios, bios, which means biological life. It's not the word suke, which means a lively personality. It's the word zoe, which means eternal life. We receive this life the moment we enter into the door. And at the moment of salvation, eternal life is given to you, and it will never be taken away. This is the life that God gives to us right now, and he sustains in you through all eternity. It's, it's later in the chapter talked about where Jesus says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able 
to snatch them out of the Father's hand. When all the armies of this world have come and gone in this life, Christ will continue. When all the kings and rulers of the world have come and gone in this life, Christ will continue. When the stars wear out like a garment, life will continue in Christ. When the moon turns to blood and the sun is no more, this life in Christ will continue forever and ever. Not only that, one final blank here, there's an abundance of eternal life. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. If you have entered through this gate, the life that is within you is the life of Christ himself. It is a new life. It is a new experience. There is nothing that compares to it. This is a life of a, of a new category, a, a new kind. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. Listen to me this morning. This is not some warmed up leftovers of your precious life. This is a completely new life in Christ. You have never experienced this before. This is the new birth. This is a new spiritual life that you have in Christ. This is the abundant life. This word abundant means more. It means remaining. It means excessive. This word abundantly as an adverb means extraordinary or remarkable. This abundant life speaks not to the length of life, but to the quality of life. This is a heavenly life. This is a, a higher life that's on a higher plane than anything you could ever imagine. This abundant life gives you power over sin. It gives you contentment in the gospel. It gives you the ability to run to Christ in every moment of every day. And this abundant life will not be measured out in an eyedropper. This is not a, a meager pinch here and a tiny crumb there. This is an overflowing goodness of the grace of God given to each and every one of his sheep. This word abundantly has been used in the mathematical sense of having an abundance of something. The idea here is that there is far more than you could ever need. The same word used after feeding the 5,000 plus where they picked up 12 baskets that were left over. This is a, a surplus. It went way above and way beyond. And there is an abundance of grace that God provides for us in Christ. This word abundantly, there are two Latin words that also contribute to our English word abundant. Those two Latin words are to rise above the waves, to rise in waves, to, to overflow. The idea here is that of waves coming into the ocean and they are coming into the shoreline again and again and again and again. There is a continual supply of the unfathomable amounts of water. The, the waves perpetually roll forward one after another and after another. It just keeps coming. It will never stop. And so it is with God's supply of life and of grace and of blessings. They, they are never ceasing. The grace of God rises up in, in waves of mercy, in waves of grace, and they crash in over you until all eternity. It's like the grand finale of the fireworks show that we saw on the 4th of July. 
It just keeps going and going until you're just overwhelmed. You're like, I, I give. I can't take it. It's too much, Lord. What an incredible picture of the abundant life. And so as we leave this morning, consider these three questions, if you will. Are, are you taken back by the fact that the, the shepherd of the sheep knows you by name? I hope that that just takes your breath away this morning. I hope that this morning that you would just meditate on just maybe that one truth, that the shepherd comes into the pen of wherever you are. You may be stuck in a sheepfold somewhere that you don't want to be, and the shepherd's coming in today through his word, and he's calling you by name. Secondly, have you come out of the sheepfold through the door into the green pasture? Have you left that place of bondage, that place of old covenant legalistic tendency of your own ideals about what spiritual things should be? Because let me tell you, you need a shepherd. His name is Jesus. He's leading you out of that sheepfold into the green pasture of salvation. And last, do you have eternal life in Jesus and are you blessed by its abundance? I'm afraid we have too many poor Christians in our church that think that God's not enough and that our contentment is based on money or position or fame or having a great vacation. But Jesus is more than enough. He gives us life, and he gives us abundant life where he just keeps blessing you and blessing you and blessing you. I am the door, Jesus said, of the sheep. Have you entered through that door into eternal life, and are you living it abundantly? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day, this morning. What a great reminder to us. We cannot get enough of the truth of this passage. Lord, we could sit all day in one sense, not, not to hear my voice, but the words of Jesus that just keeps teaching us and deepening our understanding and allowing us to see the, the grace of the shepherd and the significance of the door and the, the opportunity today to, to move into a, a new place in life through the door of Jesus Christ and through him alone. Lord, we're tired of the evil one and false teachers acting like thieves and robbers. I pray for the gatekeepers of this church that we would readily listen to the voice of the shepherd and that we would also be very aware of the sheep. What an awesome passage for us to think about and meditate on each and every one of us today. The gratitude we ought to have. Help us to have that discernment to hear the voice of the good shepherd and to enter through the door of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.